When Eric Meyer answered the door to the home he shared with his mother on August the 11th, 2023, he couldn't have expected what was waiting on the other side. The editor and proprietor of a small Kansas newspaper was being raided by police who were looking for evidence of supposed illegal data access by one of his reporters. Not used to seeing the police intervene so overtly and unabashedly in the workings of the press, Americans sent letters of support to the newspaper in their tens of thousands. In this episode, Eric tells us how he believes the raid was politically motivated, this small-town scuffle potentially being an auger for the future of press freedom in a world where opinion is increasingly replacing fact-based news. I'm Chris Stokel-Walker, and for Human Rights Organization Article 19, this is Tectonic. Eric Meyer, thank you for joining us. Thank you. It's really a pleasure to have you here, and I wish it was under better circumstances. I I wondered if you could take us back, Eric, to August 11th for our listeners who may not necessarily have heard about the situation that you, your family, and your newspaper, the Marion County Record, found themselves in. What exactly was your day like (laughs) on August 11th? My day had been a normal day. I was actually with my 98-year-old mother waiting for her Meals on Wheels to arrive, which I usually would warm up for her, and then I would head down to the office. Uh, Right about the time that the meal normally arrived, there was a knock on the door, and it turns out that it was uh, two police officers. They presented a search warrant document. Uh, I looked at it, and... (laughs) One of the first things I said was, guys, you're in big trouble. <laughs> you are executing a, a warrant that clearly is not not based on anything. It accused us of identity theft and illegal accessing of a computer system, which was odd because we had no desire to steal anyone's identity. And the computer system we accessed was a public system that our reporter had actually called the state which operated it and asked for instructions on how to get into it. And they told them and they later said, no, no, there's no nothing private about this system. It's all public information. And they provided the assistance to our reporter. Uh, so they stood there for a long time. They grabbed my cell phone. They grabbed my laptop, even though I hadn't used the laptop in a couple of weeks and were waiting to take the desktop computer in the home. I was concerned and tried to call my newspaper office and got no answer and uh, discovered later that they'd taken the staff of the newspaper and forced them outside. It was 100 degree weather, you know, very hot and they were all waiting outside in the sunshine. Nobody was able to come in and watch the police while they were examining the newsroom except we do have security cameras in here and so we've got video of what they did later on yeah holy cow yeah this is just like these are all the previous issues this year okay so i'm not yeah that's what all this crap is this is all just administrative type pretty much yeah they were here for a great period of time a couple hours probably and my mother was forced to wait with these two officers standing guard over her till the rest of them then came up 
to her house, seven of them in total. Uh, you know, the dangerous criminal that she was. Uh, it took seven of them to think that they could subdue her. She was very upset about it. I'm an old lady. I'm a person. And I can say what I want. Yep. Very upset. They eventually took her computer. And simultaneous with this, they were also raiding the home of the vice mayor. Who, like us, had received the same document through a source on social media. Uh, she had disclosed it. She'd sent the document on to the city administrator and asked that police look into it. So we don't know why they raided her home. We had disclosed to the police that we had received this document. So we don't know why they were looking at us either. We didn't say who had given it to us, but they knew because the vice mayor told them who gave it to her. Uh, so there really wasn't anything to discover. And in fact, uh, as I sit at my computer right now, just to my left, was the document that we had obtained, and just to my right is where my computer was. The document was sitting there during the raid. They didn't even take it. Wow. <laughs> they, they didn't take it. That, that wasn't the point of the raid. The raid wasn't to discover information. The raid was to show us that we are the mighty police, and if you do anything we don't like, we're going to come in and step on you. This was all triggered by your reporting on a story around a local politician. Well, we think so. Uh, I mean, getting answers these days is not the easiest thing in the world. The police chief was new to town, and he'd just been appointed by the mayor. And he had a very checkered past. Uh, he was a captain in the Kansas City Police, and was coming to Marion, Kansas. He was being paid in Kansas City one hundred and ten or one hundred and fifteen thousand dollars, and was coming to Marion for sixty, which ought to raise some objections. You know, big city, big money, small town, less money. And we had, after he was his appointment came up, uh, we'd started receiving anonymous tips from former colleagues of his that first of all he was being demoted in Kansas City for sexual improprieties. Uh, and he had other things that he'd been suspended for. The former colleagues of his were aghast that he could be coming here as the police chief. This is kind of a common thing in the United States that police departments tend to have less than desirable officers that they kind of shove off on other departments without letting them know what's going on. So we were looking into that. Uh, the chief denied everything, of course, and we could not get a source to go on the record and we could not get a document because of privacy restrictions. So we did not run the story, but we did alert people in city government who were, had not yet finalized the appointment. They got mad at us. Why are you looking into this man? And uh, so we did not do anything with the information. It's interesting to us that 
well, a week before this happened, a week and a half before this happened, we had had a an event where a congressman was having a public forum at a local coffee shop. And the owner of the coffee shop threw us out, hmm. had the police throw us out. We were the only media representatives there. Uh, the congressman later apologized for this and so on. But it was this woman's driving record that we had obtained. It showed that she had basically been driving for 15 years without a license. It, her license had been lifted for a drunken driving conviction. She had obtained a settlement with the court that uh, was going to expunge her records, but she never followed through on it. And so she lost her license. She just didn't renew it. There were allegations, and we have verified these with anonymous sources, that the police were fully aware of this but would not arrest her uh, for driving. There were rumors that she and the chief were having an affair. There were all sorts of other things. We've never been able to verify that. Uh, but uh, it, it was clearly a, a case where she'd done some wrong, and she admitted it. She later went to a city council meeting and complained that we had stolen her records, even though we decided we weren't going to publish them. We'd stolen her records. We'd shared them with the vice mayor, and the vice mayor had posted them all over social media. All three of those things are false. We hadn't stolen them. We hadn't shared them with the vice mayor, and the vice mayor hadn't posted them on social media. And interestingly, the woman, after the meeting, in a conversation with me, admitted all that. She said, oh, I know where the documents came from, and she had named the person, and it actually was our anonymous source, who had gotten them from this woman's estranged husband. It's a stupid story. That The reason we didn't run it originally was that her estranged husband was trying to get custody of their automobiles in a divorce settlement. And his argument was that since she didn't have a valid driver's license, he should get them. She didn't need them. We thought, we don't want to get in the middle of a stupid divorce case and report any of this. So we, we sat on it. But apparently the police decided that this was a good opportunity to do something to us. The extent to which the mayor is involved in this, we still cannot verify. We do know that he was brought in several times, uh, and it is very odd that when they conducted the search, they knew who had gotten the document. It was in the probable cause affidavit, the name of the person who had provided it. They didn't search her house. They didn't question her. They didn't question anybody. The two people they searched were us and the vice mayor. The vice mayor is a longtime opponent of the mayor politically, and we have very often covered her opposition to the mayor. So there's a stench to this uh, that, that says that there's political motivations, since they really didn't seem to care about the documents or finding anything about what we were doing. They then came in and very ham-handedly searched for things. Their probable cause for sealing one of our computers was that they'd searched to see if the name Phyllis Zorn, which is the reporter who was involved in the case, appeared on any of the computers in our office. Well, our server had our archives from the past 10 years. Well, every time she'd had a byline, it appeared in the archive of the stories, but that was their probable <laughs> cause for taking our file server. Uh, and they took another computer because they said that the reporter, Deb Groover, would not give them the password to it. So that meant that they had to take it. They took the cell phones because they said we refused to give them the password, so they had to do it, except they took mine, and mine had 
face recognition on it. So I looked at it before I handed it to him. It was unlocked when I gave it to him. Hmm. And in fact, they said, I'm setting it on airplane mode. Well, it was unlocked at that moment. They didn't need to seize it. And they could have looked at it at that point. I mean, we didn't do anything over cell phones anyway. It was, it was kind of a stupid thing. The judge, we then called the judge that afternoon, called the court and said, we want to see before you get a search warrant in Kansas and most places in the U.S., you must submit something called a probable cause affidavit, which says that you have a reason for conducting this search. And we wanted to see the probable cause affidavit. Mm. You got a statement back from the court. No such document exists in our office. Uh, the probable cause was not filed until three days later. And it disagrees with what the warrant said in the case of the vice mayor as to what the crimes alleged were. It was signed by a magistrate judge, not the regular district judge for here, but a magistrate judge from a different county. Now, she does come down here and hear things, but and it was dated the next day, and apparently the county attorney hadn't seen it, although maybe he did, and no one is talking at this point. Um so all the, all the structures that are supposed to protect against unlawful search and seizure didn't happen. A federal law that says you cannot search a newsroom, you must subpoena the document, which gives an opportunity for a news organization to argue in court that it is sensitive or not. We do not know whether they obtained the material about the police chief that was on one of our reporters' computers. We think they didn't. Mm. Uh, but uh, that's assuming that they didn't do anything to the things. We asked whether they'd looked at our data while they had custody of it for basically five days, and we were told that there were no meaningful uh, investigations of our data, so we don't know what that means. I mean, somebody looked at it, but they didn't do it meaningfully. We don't know. Yeah, uh, it's always a, the choice of those words is always really important, and. I imagine that has a, a very big impact on how you operate. For those who maybe don't know the local community there, what is Marion like and what role does the Marion County record play? Uh, that's a really good question. I think to some extent this case is going to determine what Marion's like. Uh, the attorney that I initially was trying to reach has always referred to Marion as corrupt. Now, I would... As somebody who was born here, who came back here in retirement to help the community by running the newspaper, I bought it 25 years ago with my parents, basically to prevent it from falling into chain ownership. So I care a lot about this community. I mean, I could retire someplace else and probably have a much nicer life. Uh, but uh, it is a very scared community. People are afraid to speak out against the powers that be. Uh, you know, the, the, the society has become very cocooned. People only listen to things that they agree with. Uh, this is the talking heads on cable so news shows. She's a child, and this is the tantrum of a child. Ignorant, cocksure, bloodthirsty. Yet no one in Washington uh, Facebook, and here it's still Facebook. I mean, nobody looks at any other social media than Facebook. But uh, they get very cocooned. They hear only certain beliefs, and they're very afraid that there will be consequences. This is a small town. If you're the, if you're the grocer in town, you're the, you're the only grocer in town. And if you cross the powers that be, they may encourage everybody to not shop at your store. Uh, they may, you know, 
prevent you from joining whatever club you want to join or just kind of ignore you, ostracize you. And we've had a tradition for the past 20 years or so of some very top-down leadership that plans are presented. You'll go to the city council meeting and they'll say, here's this 50-page plan that you got. And, oh, by the way, here it is. Sign it tonight. You know, the council members aren't even allowed to read it before they sign it, basically. So there's a tradition of this sort of authoritarian, uh, oligarchy type. Uh, there's groups in control of things that they, if they present things, they, they will automatically go through and other people are afraid to challenge them. I, I think that's one of the things we were trying to change. It's not... Not just this police chief that we were worried about. At the same time, the county's ambulance director, emergency medical services director, we discovered on investigation, had lied on his application to become a paramedic in Kansas, uh, said that he didn't have a criminal background. In fact, he had an extensive criminal background, uh, which we exposed. And he, he just, a week or so, resigned. Uh, but we caught grief for reporting that. Uh, every journalist, I think, learns very early on that you're going to all be accused of negativity and in the parlance of former President Donald Trump, fake, fake news. news. These are just allegations. I remember having a press conference during this or about 20 journalists in the room and I said how many of you in here are constantly accused of negative news coverage and every one of them raised their hands. How many of you in here have been accused of fake news? They all raised their hands. Uh, it's just part of the nature of the times are like that. Uh, people don't believe facts as much as they do opinions. They think opinions are facts. Uh, I believe that this is true, so therefore it is. And anybody who doesn't say that is clearly lying. It's fake news. Uh, and we also want only positive things that support things. Rah, rah, sis, boom, bah, let's be cheerleaders for everything in the world. And that's not the role of a newspaper. I mean, that's not why we exist. We exist as a counterweight to what public sentiment is. We, we try to give voice to the voiceless. We try to give, you know, the old saying that was actually intended as an insult when it was said to, to uh, comfort the afflicted and afflict the comfortable. And uh, it is something that we do. We're, we're trying to bring out the things that otherwise wouldn't come out, the, not just to be the mouthpiece for uh, whoever has got some particular idea. So we will always be challenged in that regard. People will appreciate what we do, saying you don't really know what's going on unless you read a newspaper. Mm -hmm. But they will also, at some point, we will report something that they didn't want to have reported. <laughs> and, yeah. and they will not be happy with us. Do you worry then that this incident, a 2,000-person town, a 4,000-copy distribution newspaper, is just the start of a bigger movement towards weaponizing these sorts of laws against free media? Well, just a, just a week or so ago, there was a similar, in, not a similar incident, but a, a, a prosecutor in a nearby county denied access to a public record to a news organization because he thought the news organization was crappy. Well, you know, it isn't the news organizations that have access to documents. It's the public. And whether they're crappy or good or it doesn't matter. You're supposed to give it to them. I think that's that's a 
a new phenomenon uh, that we distrust the media, and part of it is because they don't have a very good definition of what the media are. Uh, they include all these talking heads on late night TV as if they were journalists. They're not. Uh, they're they're people arguing political positions. Uh, they're not really out seeking knowledge. They're seeking something that reinforces a view that their audience has. Um, so the structure of society being as polarized as it is, I think that's a new thing that is, you know, and I don't want to make this political. I, I, I am a registered Republican. Mm. <laughs> so just to, just to give you the declosure of this, I blame this on Donald Trump. Uh, and, and, uh, that, that he, he started a lot of this movement, uh, of distrusting things and, and hating the media, the media are evil at all times. And that's carried over. Uh, but the government being weaponized against them is also a phenomenon of the economic realities of things. You know, I came in 25 years ago with my parents and we bought this paper to keep it from going into corporate ownership. We're a small county. This population, as you mentioned, this town is about 2,000. Our county is about 11,000. There are cities of much bigger population just surrounding our county. We're kind of out in the middle of nowhere. We have a bigger news staff than every one of the daily newspapers in those cities because all of them have been purchased by various chains that are not in the newspaper business. Uh, they were in the discount drug business or the hedge fund business or something like that. And they came in and they said, well, we can, th these newspapers all have fine real estate. We can sell their real estate and we can put in computer programs that will just sh shovel things into the paper, uh, artificial intelligence or, or we just don't need anything. We can just fill it with wire copy from someplace else, no original news. So they have decimated the ranks of journalism. And when journalism is decimated like that, the people in power that journalism is supposed to hold in check start getting more brazen. And it's interesting because it seems like tech runs through this whole story entirely. You came back to Marion County to try and save the newspaper from being sort of subsumed by tech. The authorities were tipped off by the breadcrumbs, I suppose, created by an online search. They then seized your devices in order to try and identify sources and oh they didn't find the breadcrumbs they were it, it was given to them yeah somebody took a picture with their cell phone and posted it on facebook uh, of a document that they had obtained they couldn't figure out the, their search terms when they were searching our computers one of them was kansas <laughs> and i mean they got hits on everything uh that they, they did dui and you don't know how many words in mm -hmm. the English language, have the letters DUI in order in them. They do now. Uh, <laughs> uh, it, it's kind of odd that I'm the person that this has happened to because in my 
I spent 26 years as a faculty member at the University of Illinois, and I was also a consultant to online publishers. I ran an online site. I was a visiting professor of social media. I mean, I'm, I was always the, the tech guy on the faculty at journalism school. Uh, and here I am in the, in the old legacy, you know, print mode here. But it's not the technology, it's the content, there's no silver bullets of technology. Technology doesn't allow you to do much of anything other than just alter the delivery pattern. Well, it's what you deliver that makes a difference. And we've gotten to the point where we keep looking for this silver bullet that, oh my God, we've got to do it in video. And well, no, they found out they didn't have to do it in video, that that was just sort of a brief lived phenomenon. They could sell ads in it for a while and then they couldn't. And, you know, it, Everything has been looking for silver bullets. Uh, my father went to journalism school. In 1948, he graduated, and he was told in 1948 that newspapers would not exist in 10 years. They would be replaced by, wait for it, facsimile. Everybody was going to have a fax machine in their house, and they would get their news for the fax machine. You know, newspapers were going to be replaced by television they were going to be replaced by audio text everybody remembers that you know the the old cfax service on bbc that was going to replace newspapers um we were going to lose newspapers when when everybody started publishing online we were going to lose newspapers when we went to social media and all those have been hits uh they they affect portions of the audience but really it doesn't matter uh, our little print newspaper yeah we probably distribute and certainly do now, uh, but before that, our audience was probably three times the size online as it is in print. <laughs> but that doesn't matter. It doesn't. It doesn't really change the nature of what it is we're providing, and what we're trying to provide is honest coverage of things that people don't know about. We have a definition of news that says news is surprising. Whatever surprises people is news, uh, and to an extent. You ought to feel happy if most of the news is negative because that means negative things are surprising and positive things aren't. Uh, so that's really what we're doing, and we're trying to look into things. We're trying to look into things that are not, not normal. Now, are we alone in this? Absolutely not. Are we a decreasing number? Are we you know, the endangered species? Probably. But I blame it not so much on the technology changing as the stock market and the notion of uh, investing in products that they regard as products, that there's a franchise, you know. Newspapers got their start because somebody in a town somewhere thought that people in that town needed to know things about what's going on. Didn't get started because there was some journalist roving through the countryside and decided, let's start a newspaper here, let's start a newspaper here, let's hmm. start a newspaper there. Um we need to get back to the point where people are, I guess like me, concerned about the town and wanting to cover the news about the town because of the town. Now, technology allows that in terms of startups, in terms of people who are covering things as sort of citizen journalists. Uh, the problem is most of them aren't that experienced in what to do with it. Huh. They wouldn't know how to answer a challenge. They will bend to pressure. It's quite possible in many cases, and I, I worry about this, um, if someone had come in to another news organization and it wasn't someplace that 
kind of knew what we were doing. Uh, they just shut down. I mean, hmm. the, the bullies would win. Uh, they'd say, oh, my God, I can't do this again. The police are going to come. Uh, and it had, has had the exact opposite effect on us. I regret that we didn't run the story about the police chief at the time that we got it. Uh, we've since run it, but we probably should have run it at the time and shouldn't have been afraid of uh, the consequences of it. Which is remarkable because you've paid both a professional and a personal cost for this. Yeah, uh, and actually I've just got yesterday some body cam footage uh, that we'd requested of the police raiding my mother's house. And I had heard her say that she was very concerned about it, but she told the officers, point blank, she says, this is going to be the death of me. I'm going to have a heart attack and die, and you're going to be guilty of murder. And guess what? Uh, one day later, that's exactly what happened. She had a sudden cardiac arrest and died. She was very upset about this raid. My parents moved to that house the day before I was born. I'm 70 years old. So she lived in that house for 70 years. And to have two cops watching her for two hours and then five more come in and invade this house, well, There's some video out there that I, some people might want to look at. Uh, we, we have posted some at mnks.us slash Joanne, J-O-A-N. She pronounced it Joanne, even though it was spelled as Joan. Showing her at the, at the house and how she fought back. And she really, it's, it's not, it's just probably about a PG-13 rated video <laughs> because it's, she's, she calls them out a few times. Don't you touch any of that stuff. Ma'am, This is my house. I know. You're wasting your breath. Ma'am, get out of here. You asshole. Get him out of here. What's he doing over there going through the papers? How many computers do you have in the house, ma'am? I'm not going to tell you. Get out of my way. I want to see what they're doing. Well, they're working. I don't care what they're doing. So you doing. can go on through if you want. What are you doing? Those are personal papers. Uh, but she was very, very upset about it. And uh, what? where are all the good people who allowed this to happen? Uh, why aren't they out here? Well, they did show up. Unfortunately, it was after she'd passed. And uh, we've just been inundated since this happened with... Uh, letters of support. We've received tens of thousands of emails. Uh, we've received more than 5,000. Our press run before this happened was 4,000. Mm. We've received more than 5,000 subscription orders online. We still, I've got a person in here today who volunteered to come down from from two hours away who's helping us enter all these. We're, we're so far behind. We, we have like hundreds of hours of work to do to get all these processed. But uh, the, the support has been overwhelming. And out of those letters that we've received, we have not received a single one that in any way said the police should be 
you know, we were wrong, you know, you're not above the law or something like nobody's done that. They've been entirely supportive. Uh, meanwhile, the city is stonewalling on this. Uh, while it would be normal procedure in any community around the country to say, well, there's an investigation pending, we will suspend with pay which is also known as put somebody on vacation, uh, uh, the police chief until this investigation resolved, they refused to do it. Mm. And there's been a movement in town to bring the town back together. And there's candidates. There's going to be four, four of the five positions on the city council will be up for election in November. Uh, but we've already figured out with who's unopposed that the vote next year with a new council will at least be three to two against suspending the police chief. Uh, this is a man who forget this issue. There's plenty of stuff about his background that should make him questionable. Forget the fact that he doesn't patrol. He doesn't, he's supposed to be a working chief. He comes in at five in the morning, which, you know, big high crime time. Uh, <laughs> and leaves at one in the afternoon and then ha make sure he has, uh, somebody working with him at all times. We don't have police protection most evenings. Mm. In fact, last night there was a report of shots fired. It was false. About two blocks from my mother's house. And I went out to see what was going on. You know, stupid journalist, you hear that there's shots fired, go stand out in the street and see if you can get shot, I guess. Uh, but uh, they didn't have a police officer on duty. They had to send a county sheriff's deputy in to do this. This was 9 o'clock at night. Uh, so he's not staffing the police. You know, there's a thousand reasons that this guy should be suspended, but they won't do it because that would be to admit wrongdoing, except it isn't. I mean, that's not the point of this. But mm. uh, And given all that, given the terrible circumstances that you've gone through with the paper and with your family, given the inevitability that you've calculated of him staying in post next year. Why do you keep doing this? Because <laughs> uh, that's how my mother raised me. <laughs> you don't give up. She didn't give up. I can't give up if she didn't give up. I mean, a 98-year-old woman has every right to say, screw this, I'm not going to fight. Uh, but it, it's what you do. I mean... Journalism is a calling. It's not unlike being in in the clergy or or being a teacher. There's a lot of fields that are, you know, the, the one thing that you notice about them right away is they all pay crap. They have terrible hours. They're, they're awful working conditions. Uh, but people still work in them. And the reason they do is they think they make a difference. They contribute to democracy in some way. And it's not just exclusive to those professions. There are lots of people in lots of areas that, what they do matters in their mind. Maybe it does, maybe it doesn't. I, I occasionally find myself questioning whether it matters or not, uh, whether anybody's listening. We can keep telling them about these things, but are they listening to them? Are they taking action because of it? But I don't give up easily. I'm stubborn. And I guess that's as long as there's a chance that this will produce real change that will really help you know, democracy is not just about listening to people. It's also about speaking. Uh, it's, it's your responsibility to speak up, 
to to express your ideas, express your concerns, express what's going on. Uh, if you see a problem, mention it, and other people should pay attention to that. It's not a neat and tidy form of government. I mean, neat and tidy. Uh, I suspect Vladimir Putin has a very neat and tidy government. Uh, you don't object to anything. You don't create new ideas. You don't offer anything. You can look at the guy that headed the military over there, that, what happened to him. Who knows what's going on with that. But the, we're supposed to have a diversity of ideas. We're supposed to be able to get those ideas out to people. Uh, the great promise of technology was that this was going to make it easier. In fact, it's made it harder. Because the technology has been co-opted by people who can market that. And so they want to create very siloed echo chambers that will get strong affinity of people within them. Uh, I, I happen to think that one of the greatest evils in the world these days is social media. I call it anti-social media because that's what it is most of the time. Now, is that true of everything? Of course not. There are a lot of places that, that are posting things that are open to different ideas that actually encourage dialogue and discourse and encourage bringing people together on opposite sides of an issue. They're great. We should celebrate them. That's what newspapers have tried to do, too. But there are a lot of places that just hammer the same points over and over again, whether they're true or not. Uh, and it's funny, it's not necessarily that the corporations that own them are biased. There's corporations that own, you know, extremely right wing and extremely left wing things. And they're just sitting there, you know, cackling to the bank. I remember when my old employer in Milwaukee was first going into, uh, at that time, it was Prodigy in America Online. Uh, and I, I, I go back covering hackers before anybody ever heard of this, but one of the business types, one of the treasurer of the company was saying, and we can get paid by the minute that they're on our, on site. This was prodigy. So we should always post something about abortion every week so that they'll all sit there and spend lots of time on the site and we just get money, 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 because they'll argue about it. Said, That's not what we're supposed to do. I mean, yes, you can do it. I mean, there's a thousand ways you can make money in this world. Fortunately, most of the bad ones are illegal, but I mean, uh, but there's also legal ways you can do it. And uh, the, the pursuit of the, of the segmentation of society, because you can profit from it, because you can assemble a profile that says, I can market this to this person, and the more I put them in an echo chamber, the more valuable that profile becomes, is something that, for the sake of democracy, really has to be looked at. Because I don't think the public understands it, and I don't think the public ever will understand it. Uh, this is where government really needs to step in. But guess who is a great beneficiary of this? the politicians who are trying to rally their support from very extreme positions. So I don't see that that's going to change very soon. Uh, meanwhile, I can't change it from Marion, Kansas, but I might be able to change it in Marion, Kansas. So you do what you can. Mm -hmm. Speaking of which, you've got a paper to put out. Yes. You've got lots of subscriptions to handle. Yes. Eric Meyer, thank you for joining us and get back to work. Thank you very much, Chris. Thank you.
Thanks for listening to Tectonic, a new podcast from Article 19. We hope you'll join us for future episodes, which we will release every fortnight, and look at the wide variety of ways that these seismic shifts we're currently seeing in technology can affect our freedom of expression. I'm Chris Stoker-Walker. Your producers this episode were Christopher Hooten and Nicola Kelly, with theme music and original score by Julian Wharton. If you would like to leave us a star rating or review wherever you're listening, that would be hugely appreciated. It really makes a difference to our show. Thank you, and see you next time.